Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. You may have heard this statement before, I'm Jewish, I don't believe in Jesus. Throughout the season, we have learned why such resistance exists in the hearts and minds of our Jewish brethren. One of the reasons is that the Jewish people have experienced centuries of persecution from people who proclaimed to be followers of Jesus. Another reason is that the church has gradually drifted away from the Jewish roots of our faith. The way Jesus, the disciples, and the New Testament are presented might not look familiar to the Jewish people. Sadly, this has made them see Yeshua as the God of the Gentiles. In this episode of Our Hope, you will hear three amazing testimonies of Jewish intellectuals who, despite their own cultural and personal resistance to Jesus, found the truth of Messiah in Scripture. The first is Dr. Michael Brown. Dr. Brown grew up believing that Jesus is the God of the Catholic Church. As a teenager, he lived a life steeped in drug addiction. But then a friend shared about his pastor's teaching on the book of Revelation. Dr. Brown's curiosity was piqued, so he visited the church to hear what else the scriptures had to say. Take a listen. Growing up Jewish, I thought that Jesus was the God of the Catholic Church. He was just some guy, kind of foreign to us, God of this other religion, but nothing to do with us as Jews. When I was in high school, I earned the nicknames Drug Bear and Iron Man. Yeah, I mean, I smoked pot, I smoked hash, I used ups, I used downs, I used LSD, I used mescaline, I used amphetamines, I used cocaine, I, I shot heroin. I would take massive quantities just to see how far I could go. I once did enough mescaline, a hallucinogenic drug, for 30 people, the equivalent of one ounce. I couldn't distinguish between reality and hallucination. I would walk with my hand in front of my face at night because I didn't know if the tree that was growing up in front of me was really there. 
or if the tree that grew up into fireworks, that, that they were really taking place. I'd see like a car coming at me and suddenly the car became a person. You know, the eyes, the, the lights became eyes and a mouth. Or I'd see someone walking their dog and that they'd morph into, they'd each become a little bit of each other. And it was really going on a trip. I had a really wicked heart. I mean, I was proud, really proud, obnoxiously proud. And I was vicious with my tongue. I, I wasn't a fist fighter. I didn't get in fights, but I would cut people down. I would rip into them until they were in tears. So I thought, well, if there really is a God, he, he knows I have a good heart. You know, if, if I see an old woman and she's entering a store, I'll open the door for her. Or if I'm in New York City and I see some poor bum, some drunkard on the street, I'll, I'll give him a few cents. So in my heart, I'm actually a good person. I thought a church, I don't know, kind of like synagogue. You say these prayers out of a book, and then maybe you have these other rituals that you go through or something like that. I, I don't know. And you got some guy hanging on a cross, and, you know, and that's, that's what it's like. Well, not this church. This was very, very different. And then my friends would come back with stories. They said the pastor was preaching from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible that tells us about the end times. We're sitting around getting high, smoking pot, and they're telling me these stories. And they said, there, there's going to be a beast. It comes out of a bottomless pit, seven heads, and ten horns, and it's going to like rule the world. And I said, that's in the Bible? That's what they talk about in this church? That's a cool church. And at the end of the service, the pastor said, is there anyone here who wants to receive Jesus or ask Jesus into their hearts? I guess he did that in, in all the services. And my friend sitting next to me nudges me. He said, Mike, you should go up now. And see, I knew after my first visit there, these people are praying for me because they think like I'm the worst sinner in the world. These old people will really get a kick out of it. If I go up there and say this prayer, they'll be all excited, like, oh, the big sinner went up. So I, I went up to pray the prayer. I didn't mean anything by it. I just, I was having a little fun with it. So the pastor said, say these words out loud with me. I believe Jesus died for me. Okay, Jesus died for me. Jesus took my place. I sinned, I did all these bad things, he was perfect, he died for me. You know, I believe, I believe that's true. I believe Jesus did die for me. Say these words, I believe he rose from the dead. And I thought, you know, I, somehow, I know that's true also. The story didn't end just with him dying. But it goes on. That's why all these people believe in him today. He rose from the dead. I believe it. And then he said, and I promise to live for you all the days of my life. And I said the words. He said, did you mean that? I said, yes. He said, I believe you. But God knew I didn't mean the last part. And that's when the deep spiritual battle really began to take place. I loved heavy rock music, so Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, and bands a little different, Jethro Tull, these different ones, because I was a drummer, bass set, and pounding everything. It was kind of a whole new world for me, and I thought, I want to play drums just like that. One of my favorite things to do in life was to get high, 
and to go to a rock concert. And you talk about an experience. You, you go to a, a concert, say, at the Fillmore East, and they have what's called the Joshua Light Show, this pounding, flashing light going on behind them. And here's Zeppelin, dazed and confused, and Robert Plant kind of staggering over the stage as he's singing, and Jimmy Page ripping out his guitars, and John Bonham, that drummer with a heavy drum beat, and bass player just driving this thing. And the music would be so loud, I would test it. I would scream at the top of my lungs, and if I could hear myself, the music wasn't loud enough. I lived for that. And then my own band, we'd play every day. We'd practice and play for hours and the loud music and getting high, man. We loved it. Now, I'm in this little church. There's maybe 40, 50 people there. I'm 16, long-haired hippie. You got guys 50, 60 years old in jackets and ties and ladies in their dresses. And there's the pastor's wife playing the piano. That's the instrument, piano. No amps. No boom sound. She's playing the piano. And she's playing these little ditty hymns. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. I'm talking about these silly little ditties. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Sunshine, sunshine in my soul today. I mean, that's what we're singing. And as we're singing these songs, and we're just singing a couple of songs. You got 40, 50 people. You got no amplification, no drugs. Suddenly, I experienced this joy I've never experienced in my life. I mean, I, I can't even describe it with words as I talk about it now. And immediately, it's like my life passed before me. I thought, getting high on drugs. No, this is different. Rock music, playing, going to a concert. This is different. Winning in sports, playing sports. No, this is different having a great relationship with someone, doing good for someone. I thought, this is different. This is completely different. This must be what these people call the joy of the Lord. And I realized, this is how much God loves me. This is what Jesus did for me dying on the cross. This was the most pure, amazing joy a human being could ever experience. When God made himself so real to me, at that point, I didn't want to live the way I was living anymore. I said, I'll never put a needle in my arm again when I experienced that incredible joy and I realized how much God loved me. When I stopped doing drugs and I said, Dad, Dad, I got saved. I mean, who knew what the words meant? And he said, hallelujah. He was just making fun of it. He didn't take it seriously. Now, hang on. We're Jews. We don't believe this. See, he was Jewish enough to be concerned that his son is going to depart from the faith. I'm thrilled you're off drugs, but now you need to come back to Judaism. You need to talk to the local rabbi. And for me, I was excited to do it because I wanted, I wanted my Jewish people to know about Jesus. I'd meet this rabbi and that one, ultra-Orthodox rabbis who've been studying these things for decades and centuries. And, and I thought, you know, I, I need to learn more. My faith is secure in my heart. I need to learn more. I need to learn Hebrew. I need to, to learn more about Judaism. And the more I studied, the more clear it was that I was completely on the side of truth and following Jesus. We would keep having these discussions and debates and so very, very few rabbis, despite their sincerity and all their study, have even opened up an honest question before God as to who he is. In their mind, it's blasphemous, it's sacrilegious to read the New Testament as sacrilegious, so they stay away from it entirely. They don't know who he really is. 
They know some of the bad stories we preserve in our own traditions, you know, hanging on a crucifix in a Catholic church. The horror stories of the inquisitions and the crusades and the terrible things that so-called Christians did to Jewish people through the years. What really happened was he was laying down his life for us. He was taking the place of the animal sacrifices. In other words, he was doing this as Yeshua, the promised Messiah, in keeping with scripture and our tradition. So he was not some Gentile God hanging on a cross from another religion. He was our Messiah dying as the righteous one, taking our sins on his shoulders and then rising from the dead so that we could have a great relationship with God. My dad, he actually would come and hear me preach. You know, he, he wanted me to go back to Judaism, but then he, he saw how radically my life was changed and, and began to consider, could it be that Jesus is the Messiah? I remember he was even reading the New Testament, so his heart was wide open because he saw how Jesus had changed my life, and he knew that this was something only God could have done. Dr. Brown is now one of the leading voices in Messianic apologetics. He has written over 40 books about the Church, Yeshua, anti-Semitism, and many other topics related to faith and culture. It is truly amazing to see the transformative power of Jesus in a person's life. Like Dr. Brown, Dr. Seth Postel grew up in a Jewish home and saw Jesus as a foreign god. But when his mother found the truth of Yeshua in her Tanakh, everything turned upside down and you will not believe what happened next. You believe in Jesus and you're Jewish? If you knew biblical Hebrew, if you only knew the Hebrew Bible, if you could read it in the original language, then you would know that Jesus can't be the Messiah. And that was something I took as a deep challenge. And then my investigation went from a bachelor's degree to a master's degree to a PhD to the beginning of a second PhD. And the more that I studied the Hebrew Bible, the more I studied how the New Testament is reading the Old Testament, the more I realized that Jesus is the Messiah. I grew up in New Jersey, very well aware of our Jewish identity. I do remember that whenever my dad was really, really angry, the worst thing he could ever say was Jesus Christ. My mom started to become more and more spiritual. and She started to read the Bible. She started to read the Old Testament, what we called it, or the, the Hebrew Bible. She became more and more curious intellectually with Jesus. She came home with the very good news to tell my father Murray, I've been searching the scriptures, I've been reading, I've been studying, and Jesus is the Messiah. My father started to cry. He said, I thought I married a Jew. How could you betray our people? How could you do this? Please tell me, why do you believe in Jesus? But please don't show me the New Testament, because of course we knew Christians hate Jews, Christians believe in the New Testament, the New Testament must be anti-Semitic. As she read to him Isaiah 53, my father got very angry. And he stopped her and he said, I told you, Lorraine, I don't want to hear the New Testament. And she stopped and she said, well, Murray, this is our side of the book. This is, this is not the New Testament. There was, this is a prophecy from 700 years before Jesus was born. Well, my father was in shock. Over the next 
several months, something very strange had happened in our family. So suddenly, up until that point, my mom and dad felt very insistent upon sending me to Hebrew school. They were very clear about our Jewish identity, and now suddenly they start to talk to me about about Jesus, and it was very confusing to me. I didn't understand. I thought that my mom and dad had an identity crisis. Something def definitely was wrong with them. And I remember them bringing me to a service. My mom and dad decided to go back to the house. I was with uh, my mom's friend, Linda, in her car. It was a blue Mercedes, and we're driving home. And she says to me, so Seth, when are you going to accept Yeshua as your Messiah? I didn't know quite what to say, but I said, Linda, I said, give me a break. I'm young. I want to live a little. I want to experience life. I want to, I want to enjoy. And she looked at me, she said, Seth, did you know that Jesus could come back at any moment now? I said, okay. And now we're on the highway, we're driving. She said, he could come back at any moment. I said, okay, so what? She said, well, you know what would happen if he came back right now? I said, no, I would be taken up and I'd be with Jesus forever. And you would be in the passenger seat of my car going 55 miles per hour all alone without a driver and you would crash, die, and go to hell. <laughs> this is true. Jesus, don't come back. Jesus, don't come back. Jesus, don't come back. I was bleeding, don't come back. And so that was when my prayer life began. I had very, very serious childhood asthma. I was on heavy medications. One of the medications I was on was called prednisone. And prednisone was something that deeply affected my moods. It also affected my shape. I remember um, looking in the mirror and I was fat. My face was swollen up, it was red. I already believed in, in my heart of hearts that I was an ugly kid. I was the ugliest kid in my class. And so I grew up seeing myself as ugly. And then with the prednisone, I just remember uh, detesting myself. There's nothing worse in the world than to look at the mirror and see yourself as ugly. And again, it wasn't just an ugliness of my, my, my physical appearance, it was, it was the ugliness of my inability to overcome my own weaknesses, my inability to, to free myself from sin. I was convinced that God hated me too. And I started to see that I was ugly in God's eyes. And so I went through this never-ending cycle of praying. And so it was as if I would be born again, and then born again again, and then born again again again, and born again, again, again. And no matter what I did, no matter how I prayed, this dread sense of terror that I was a dirty, rotten sinner, ugly in God's eyes that God hated me and that the first chance he was gonna send me to hell. And it really scared me and I had no hope. Several years later, I found myself in this service and the speaker, he, he was a pastor and for whatever reason, he kept looking my way. And it was odd because <laughs> he didn't know me and there were a couple hundred people there and he kept looking at me and it felt like he was exposing all the things I, I hope nobody else would see around me, all the things I hated about myself, all the things I, I believed God hated about me. And so I'm sitting there and I'm very uncomfortable. And at the end of the service, I just remember him just inviting people to stand up. I stood up and I looked forward. And it's as if I saw Yeshua waiting for me. 
and his arms were stretched out. And up until that moment, his arms were always stretched out in anger. He, he wanted to strike me down. But this time, for the first time, his arms were open and all he wanted to do was to hug me. All he wanted to do is embrace me. And it was as if I heard, I did this for you. These scars are for you. These wounds are for you. Of course I love you. Of course I accept you. I came for sinners. And I guess it was the first time that I recognized that Yeshua loves sinners. And I think for the first time in my life, I no longer saw myself as ugly. I no longer believed that lie that I was ugly in God's eyes. And for the first time, I actually truly felt loved from the inside out. And I knew that God loved me. The chains broke. I was new. I was free. Well, as I started to get more and more excited about the fact that I was a new creation, that it was something that God did supernaturally, I wanted to share. And one of the things that started happening is I shared with my family, wait a minute, you believe in Jesus and you're Jewish? This just can't be. And in fact, you're saying that Jesus is the Messiah based on the Old Testament. Who do you think you are? Do you know better than the rabbis? In fact, if you really could read Hebrew, you would know that you're misreading the text, that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. You're trusting on a Christian translation. I remember thinking to myself, you know what? I have to know biblical Hebrew and I have to know it really, really well. After I finished my first PhD, I started another PhD in Hebrew Bible here in Israel. I can put all of my intellectual weight on the text itself. And the more that I studied the Hebrew Bible, the more I studied how the New Testament is reading the Old Testament, the more I realized that Jesus is the Messiah. This is true not just on a heart level, not just because I know that God has redeemed me from my sin, not just because I know that he's given me a new life and hope and that I know that I'm beautiful in his eyes, not because of me, but because of him, but there's the other side of it, and it's the head side of it, that, that God calls us as a people to search, to search the scriptures, to study, to see if in fact Jesus is the Messiah. And I'm convinced with all my heart, to the extent that I've studied all these years, that to understand Moses, to understand the prophets, to understand the writings is, in fact, to see Yeshua the greatest Jew who ever lived, the savior of our people and the savior of the world. Dr. Seth Postel is now the Academic Dean of Israel College of the Bible in Itania, Israel. His pursuit of truth is truly encouraging. Now fluent in Biblical Hebrew, Dr. Postel is able to share how the Tanakh, or the Old Testament, reveals the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. Our next testimony is from Dr. Erez Soraf. Like most Jewish people, Dr. Soraf believed that because he is Jewish, he doesn't need to believe in Jesus. 
During his post-military travel, he met a group of Gentile believers and was drawn by their personal connection with God. This friendship led Dr. Sorf to rediscover his Tanakh. Take a listen. How come nobody, nobody told me before? I mean, my family, my neighbors, my friends, my people, nobody knows, nobody tells us. The best kept secret among the Jewish people. I was born to a uh, Sephardic Jewish family. Uh, my family are Babylonian Jews on my mom's side and uh, Sephardic Jews uh, from Spain on my dad's side. My mom would try to drag my brothers and me to synagogue. Maybe it had something to do with our people thousands of years ago, but God was very, very far away. In school, we would study the Old Testament from first grade to 12th grade. We study it as history of our people, as wisdom literature, um, something that one just needs to know being Jewish, but not as the Word of God. After my military service, like a lot of Israelis, I decided to travel the world. Initially in Southeast Asia, a lot of Israelis are going there for the mysticism trail and the uh, drug trail. I wanted to understand what they believe, and so I was exposed to some Hindu and some Buddhist literature. I got to to realize that there is a spiritual reality. But that spiritual reality I saw was very, very scary. It was negative, it was dark, but it was very real. I ended up in Amsterdam, Holland. And I came there with merchandise to sell because I ran out of money. It was there that I've met a group of very enthusiastic young believers in Jesus. And I said, uh, well, I'm Jewish and we don't believe in Jesus. And they said, why? Jesus is Jewish. And I said, I'm not sure why, but I'm sure we don't believe in Jesus. As I got to know them, I noticed two things that really drew my attention and made me curious. One was what they called personal relationship with God. I couldn't understand it. I mean, I could see it. I could see how it works out in their lives. They would pray for one another. They would talk to God like one talks to a friend. Um, it's very foreign to a Jewish mindset. So this friend said, well, would you like to pray? I said, I don't know how to pray. You know, in my bar mitzvah, they gave me a page, I read it. Uh, give me a page, I'll, I'll read it. And the second thing that was even more shocking than that was that some of them were familiar with passages in the Hebrew scriptures that I wasn't very well familiar with. In school, we would study certain chapters and we would skip over a lot of the, a lot of the other passages. But they referred me to passages that they called prophetic or messianic that talk about the Messiah. And I was amazed. I said, well, how come you guys know the, the Hebrew scripture? I mean, this is ours. And they said, no, it's, it's the whole Bible is one book. And I said, well, I, I have a Bible at home and I've never seen the New Testament. I decided to check it out. So I read the Hebrew scriptures, and I saw there was the same one as we had. I had one in Hebrew, and those passages were right in there, telling when the Messiah will be born, what will he do, how are we going to recognize him. Reading this, I became very curious, and I said to myself, I have to read the New Testament. So I actually got one in Hebrew, and every morning I would kind of look at it, and then look away, go about doing my things. Finally, I, I said to myself, well, Eris, you're a hypocrite because you would read Hindu writings and Buddhist writings and whatever, 
But when it comes to Jesus, you know, you avoid. And I started reading. I was very surprised. First of all, it took place in Israel, in places I've been to many, many times. Growing up in Israel, I've never ever heard anything about Jesus of Nazareth. I've never met a Christian person. I've never seen a New Testament. I had absolutely no idea what it meant. It is particularly ridiculous because I had first-degree family living uh, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And throughout my childhood, we would visit them several times a year, swim, fish. But I had no idea that Jesus or his disciples, you know, ever existed. We refer to this phenomenon as Jesus being the best kept secret among the Jewish people. I, as I read about all the religious institutions, they're still very much with us among the Jewish people to this day. But Yeshua was different. I felt very drawn to him. He, he did not try to do things to win men's favor. And so I started a process of comparing the prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures about the Messiah and how we're going to recognize him and the fulfillment in Yeshua in the New Testament. And to my amazement, it matched. I became convinced, first in my head, then in my heart, that Yeshua is indeed the promised Messiah of our people. Shortly after that, I started noticing changes in myself. I had a great hunger to read the Word of God, the Hebrew Scriptures, and the New Testament. So thinking that I'm the first Jewish person since the time of Paul the Apostle, whom I read about in the New Testament, I felt that God is calling me to go back to Israel and tell my family, tell my friends, tell my neighbors, my people, and everybody else that I meet about this great discovery that Yeshua is not just the Messiah of the Gentiles, He's also our Messiah. After becoming a follower of Yeshua, I became overwhelmed with a sense of joy on the one hand, but also urgency. Because I said, how come nobody, nobody told me before? I mean, my family, my neighbors, my friends, my people, nobody knows, nobody tells us. And I felt very strongly that I need to go and tell my people. I decided to surprise my family. My dad was there and I told them that I believe in Yeshua, the Messiah. The consensus was that in some way or fashion, I've lost my mind. My dad's family, they have uh, arranged for me a meeting with a chief psychiatrist in our city. And he actually formally declared me to be sane. I should have asked for that in writing. My mom's family arranged for me a meeting with a rabbi. And the rabbi promised my mom that he would prove to me that Yeshua is not the Messiah. The day before our meeting, the rabbi called my mom and he canceled the meeting. To my great joy, I discovered there were other believers. I discovered there was a congregation of Jewish believers and I started going there. And so I told them, I want to study the Word of God. Is there any Bible school or Bible college or something like that I can go and invest some time and just study the Bible? And they said, well, no, there's nothing. And I completed my doctoral studies in the United States. After that, with my wife and young children, we came back to Israel. I knew that God has called me to serve Him, but I didn't know exactly where. I remember very vividly how it felt coming to know Yeshua and having a deep desire to study 
the scriptures and not knowing how to do it. And I felt very strongly that I need to go and provide this opportunity for Israeli believers, both Jewish and Arab, to study the Word of God in Hebrew right where it happened. And to that, I dedicate my life. As the president of Israel College of the Bible, Dr. Arez Sorf has devoted his life to helping Israelis study the Hebrew Scriptures and the New Testament in their homeland, Israel. As believers in Yeshua, we play an important role to invite Jewish seekers to know the truth of their Messiah. As Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we can share this gospel message with respect, kindness, and sensitivity to Jewish concerns about the person of Jesus and the New Testament. Speaking of the New Testament, we will answer a very important question about it in our next episode. Can we trust the New Testament? Join us as we talk with Dr. Daryl Bach about how the Berit Hadashah, or New Testament, is just as valid and divinely inspired as the Tanakh. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Dr. Michael Brown, Dr. Seth Postel, and Dr. Arez Zorif. This episode was produced, written, and edited by Grace Swee. This episode was also created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Abe Vazquez, Kyron Bautista, and ifoundshalom.com in partnership with One for Israel. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out OurHopePodcast.com or ChosenPeople.com. You can also support our podcast by giving today at OurHopePodcast.com support. See you next time.